Uh, today, if you are visiting with us, or uh, if you're not familiar with it, today is what we would call Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is a day that we celebrate the moment in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit comes down and fills uh, the church. And it is the moment that the church is, is actually birthed, that the church actually begins. And, and, and 2,000 years ago, about 120 people were meeting in a room, and they were praying, and they were seeking God. And in that prayer meeting, God showed up and did something miraculous and incredible. As a matter of fact, it was so miraculous and so incredible that we are here today because of what happened in that room 2,000 years ago. As a matter of fact, uh, that, those 120 people today, a number over 2 billion people around the world would call themselves a Christian. Two, uh, uh, roughly one-third of the world's population would call themselves Christians. And in fact, Lakeland, you can't drive around this city without running into a church somewhere. It's so, as a matter of fact, it's so ingrained in our culture that it is like the air that we breathe. You don't even realize how influential Christianity and the church has been, even in our secular culture, the way that it has shaped and the way that it has impacted the world. And so the question that I want to pose this morning and tonight is this. What was it that enabled that small group of people, of 120 people, to change the world? In Acts chapter 17, we're told that these disciples, that everywhere they go, they're turning the world upside down. What is it that, that sparked this? What is it that, that they had that shaped and changed the course of history? And then I, I want us to, listen, we are Pentecostal, and so this is one of our, our core beliefs is this, is that what God did there, He also wants to do here. Amen. We believe that when we read Scripture, their stories are our stories, and it's God did not die. He did not quit doing His thing. He's still moving. He's still working. And so the question is this, what did God do through them that enabled them to change the world, and what does God also want to do through us that will enable us to change the world? That they were a community of people that changed the world, and God is calling us to be a community of people that also changed the world. Amen. And so we're going to be in the book of Acts, and we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, and we're kind of going to use that as a springboard and kind of jump back and forth between a few places. But the book of Acts, if you don't know, was written by uh, a man named Luke. And it's the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And his goal is this. He wants to provide an accurate historical account of the early church. And this is important to us because without the book of Acts, like we don't know who the main characters are. You ever come into a movie kind of like halfway through and you can't figure out what's going on? Well, if not for the book of Acts, we would be doing that with the New Testament. Because we get to the letters that are written later in the New Testament, we get to a guy named Paul and he writes most of the letters of the New Testament. And without the book of Acts, we wouldn't know his story, we wouldn't know his backstory. We see a guy named Peter who uh, is a disciple of Jesus, and you've probably heard of him. He's a disciple of Jesus, and we end the Gospels, and he's uh, kind of not doing so well. Like, he denies Jesus, and he does some things he's not supposed to do, and Jesus kind of, like, forgives him and restores him. But without the book of Acts, we would not know what happened to him. Amen. It would just kind of be a big, we don't know. And so the book of Acts is crucial and important because it gives us a backstory on the early church. It gives us a backstory on the characters who are going to play out in the rest of the New Testament. And so we're in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Livia belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Others mocked them, saying, They're filled with wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. We're going to dive in this morning, and I, I want us to... We're going to come back to this passage some and move throughout the book of Acts, but I want us to really ask this question. What is it that this community did that enabled them to change the world? And I want us to ask the question of ourselves, are we in a place where God can use us to change the world? And by, by change the world, that sounds kind of like lofty, like this kind of high goal, but I, I don't want you to think like way out there. I want you to think like close here. Like who, who's in your community? Who do, you, who do you go to work with? Who do you uh, live with? Who do you encounter on a daily basis that God wants to use you to change your world, to change their world? Because you see, as each of us sort of do our part, and as our church comes together as a community and does its part, like our worlds are impacted, and, and, and in response to that, it starts to sort of spread throughout See, when, the, when these people in the New Testament, when, they, uh, when this is happening, there are no, there's no email, there's no phone lines, there's, like, there is nothing. And so they, they have to literally, it sort of inches its way across the continents of Europe and of Asia, and it starts to spread. And I believe that God wants to do the same thing through you and through me as we begin to make an impact on the people around us. So what is it that they did that changed the world? Well, first of all, these were people who had been with Jesus. We get here to Acts chapter 2, and uh, we come here, and they are together in this prayer meeting, and Jesus has uh, died and been buried and has been resurrected and has gone to heaven. And we forget sometimes when we get here that, that they had had uh, three years of time that they had spent with Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, they're persecuted, and here's what their persecutors say. They say, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus calls his disciples to himself. He calls them to follow him. And this is what it says. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. This is the first call of a disciple, is to be with Jesus. Amen. 
That these men and women had spent three years with Jesus watching and learning from him. They had seen his miracles. They had seen blind eyes open. They had seen deaf ears made to hear. They saw large crowds miraculously fed. They heard his sermons. They were there when he teaches the Sermon on the Mount. They heard every parable. They walked the roads with him. They ate with him, traveled with him, and spent time with him over the course of these three years. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It is not simply come down, say a quick prayer, I'm in heaven, and that's, the, that's it. These men rearrange their life around Jesus. Amen. And to be a disciple of Jesus is to rearrange your life around Jesus. Amen. And this had shaped them in a powerful ways. They started out as fishermen and tax collectors and rebel soldiers, and they end up being disciples because they had been with Jesus. Amen. Three years of centering their life around Jesus had transformed them into disciples, into followers of Jesus. Not only had they spent these three years with him, but they spent time with Jesus after he's resurrected from the dead. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given his commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. What, what is this telling us? That the resurrected Jesus, he's died and he has come out of the grave that he's appearing to these disciples, and he's teaching them, and he's working with them, and he's showing them proof that he really is actually alive. And he does this over a period of 40 days. So not only had these men and women been with Jesus in his teaching, and in miracles, and in all of that, they had seen and been with the resurrected Jesus. Man, I, I cannot imagine how amazing it would have been to be in the same room as Jesus is in there after his resurrection and as he's teaching them about the kingdom of God and as he's going he's diving into things in ways that they probably had never imagined and never fully understood and now this man who is the the author of, of life and the creator of all things he's died and been resurrected and he's standing there with them teaching them and sharing with them these people were different because they took time to rearrange their lives and be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. And if we're going to be a community that changes the world, we must be with Jesus. Amen. Man, we, we've, we've got to be with Jesus. This is the first task and call of the church. Evangelism is not the first task of the church. The first task of the church is to be with Jesus, to worship Jesus, that our evangelism flows out of that. The, the, the first task of the church is not to build nice buildings or run big programs or, or do any of those things. The first task of the church is to be with Jesus, to rearrange our lives around him so that we are different. Jesus becomes the center of our lives. If we get this wrong, nothing else matters. If we get this wrong, nothing else matters. If we don't take time to be with Jesus and center our lives around him, what, what, what does this look like? Well, the best example I could give is, is one of, of marriage. You know, uh, before I met my, my lovely wife and we got married, I was a bachelor and I lived uh, in some different apartments with different roommates. Some of my roommates are here this morning. Uh, but I, I, for a, a while, I lived in a, an apartment down here on North 98. 
It was me and like four or five other guys living in like a two-bedroom apartment. And so, yeah, some of you are laughing. So I'm sure you can imagine, right, the, like I, I paid a little extra so I could get my own room, and I was like, you guys can stay over there, right? Because you can imagine guy, five guys living in a cramped two-bedroom apartment. You can probably imagine the smells, right? And the, the, the dishes that weren't clean when they were supposed to be, and the laundry that probably stayed there a little too long. And I met my wife, and, right? And so I, I thought, just transparency here, none of us are without fault or sin, okay? But I thought, like, sheets, man, you should change those, like, once a month, you know, a couple times a month. And my wife comes in, and she's like, like no, like if, if we're, like, if we're getting married, like, these have to be changed, every, like, every week. Like, you can't, no. And so, uh, and I say all that to say, like, going from that to being married, man, it's a whole different ballgame. I'll tell you this, there isn't a decision that I make that I don't think about my wife and my kids. Now, 10, 11 years ago, like 11 years ago, that would never, like that, I was just kind of doing my thing. But my life has been completely reoriented. It's been recentered. It's got a, like, like I have other, I have people now at the center of that that I think about when I'm making decisions and that they're constantly sort of there and everything that I do, I have them in mind. And I don't do it because uh, they showed up with kind of a list of demands, like you got to do this, or I do it because I love them and I want to do what pleases them and I, and I, want, to, I want to be there for them and, and they love me in return and we are in this relationship together where everything sort of, where our lives have been recentered around each other. Those of you who are married, you understand that. Those of you who have kids, you really understand it, right? Like your whole world goes differently and you, everything gets recentered. Before you, before you have kids, you, you know, you, you want to go do something, you just say, yeah, let's go. And then you have kids, and yeah, okay. Right? And, I'm, and that's not a bad thing. Listen, here's the, here's the deal. It is no sacrifice because we love them. Amen. And here, here, here's where the rubber meets the road is this is what Jesus is calling us to do. That he wants to be the center of our life. He wants to be at the forefront of our mind when we're making decisions. He wants to be close to us. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to know him. Not because he's demanding something or anything, but because we love him and we want to be with him. And he wants us to draw close to him. He wants us to spend time with him in prayer, in the word. He wants our lives to be radically reshaped, reformed, and, and, and viewed completely differently because our lives are centered around him and who he is. This is what it means to be a disciple. It's to center our lives around Jesus. And this is what we do when if we want to see the world change. We, if we want to see the world change, we cannot be like the world. The problem is that many of us, uh, we come down to the altar and we say a prayer and we think that we're sort of doing the Jesus thing, but we've never changed anything. It'd be like me going in, you know, walking down the aisle, my wife coming down the aisle saying, I do, see you later, right? Like, I, I'll, talk to you, I'll talk to you in a few months. Right? That's not how it happens. You, you say, I do, and then you commit to a different life. And when we say, I do, to Jesus in prayer, and when we, su- we submit our lives to him, we go and we live a different life. It's transformed. It's different. We see things differently. Everything changes because of Jesus. And we must understand that if we are to change the world, then we must have a different Center. We must have a different core. We, our life must have a different foundation. Yeah. And it must be Jesus. And these were people who had been with Jesus. Secondly, these were people who obeyed Jesus. They were people who obeyed Jesus. During his time of teaching them, Jesus gives them an interesting command. In Acts chapter 1, we'll begin, pick up where we left off and read it, verse 4. 
And while Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them, don't depart from Jerusalem, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of my Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. The Father is fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, in his time with teaching his disciples after he's resurrected, he gives them a specific command. Don't go anywhere. Wait in Jerusalem. Now, when we come to Acts chapter 2, they have been waiting for about 10 days. Now, we don't know if it had been like they just hold themselves up in this room and just waited 10 straight days, or did they go home at night and come back? Like, we don't know. But here's what we do know. They had been praying and waiting for this period of 10 days. And they're waiting on God to do what he said he would do. On the one hand, this would have been difficult. Like, part of me is going to say, listening to Jesus here would have been difficult. Why? We just saw you get out of the grave. Like, wait in Jerusalem? Are you insane? We need, like, a PR director. We need marketing. We need a film crew. We need, like, gather all. We need the newspaper. We need the media. We need to get on social media. Whatever we got to do, this needs to be blasted around the world. Like, this is huge. You died, and you came back. This needs to be on the front page of every paper from here to Rome. Like, it's got, we've got to get this out. And you want us to sit and wait? Are you nuts? One side of me would, would be saying this. And also, I'm not sure that they fully knew what they were waiting for. Right? The, the Holy Spirit hasn't fallen yet. There is no scripture. There is no, like, what, like, what, where, okay, wait on the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What does that look like? What's going to happen? I, I'm not sure that they fully knew. All they knew was Jesus said to wait, so we go wait. And they get in this room, and they pray. And beyond that, we don't know more, much more about what happened. They're just waiting. Waiting for what? I'm not sure they knew. The Holy Spirit, what does that mean? I, I, don't, I don't think that they had a full grasp of what it was that God was getting ready to do. And you can even see that in their conversation with Jesus. Because Jesus says, you guys need to wait, and, and I'm going to fill you with the Spirit. And they say, hey, Jesus... Are you, are you getting ready to like restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you, is, this, is this the moment? Is this the moment when you're going to come in and you're going to do your thing? And you're going you're to free us from uh, Roman oppression and you're going you're gonna to set everything right? And Jesus kind of says, hey, calm down. Slow down. It's not for you to know about all this stuff, but you go and you wait. I don't, I don't know about you, but part of me would find that very difficult. And yet they go and they wait. And it was probably one of those moments, if you ask them what they were waiting for, they'd probably say, well, we'll know it when it gets here. Like, I imagine that's all that they could say. We'll know it when it gets here. Maybe they had some obscure references to something in the prophets. They could say, maybe this is it, but I'm not sure that they fully grasped what God was getting ready to do. And you know, on a side note, there are times in our lives where God speaks to us, and we don't have a full grasp on what God is getting ready to do. And what do we do in those mean times? We, we wait. We don't like it. We don't understand it. But we wait. And so they wait, and they simply obey this command of Jesus. They waited and prayed for 10 days. And that's amazing to me because, let's be honest, some of us can't wait and pray for 10 minutes. 
they, they waited for 10 days. And you got to wonder if after day one, maybe they went home at night, I don't know, but as they're kind of shutting things down to go home for the night, they're saying, oh, well, you think we should come back tomorrow? Because like, nothing happened today. Well, hey, let's give it another day. And they keep coming back. And the next day, hey, uh, this is day, day four. Nothing happened. What do, we, what do we do? Well, Jesus said wait, so we keep waiting. And I'm, can you sense maybe a little bit of their like, frustration and a little bit of their trying to figure out what it is that Jesus is doing? But here's the thing. This is the other point, the other side of it. I think that on one hand it would have been difficult, but on the other hand it wouldn't have been so difficult to trust Jesus. Why? Because they had been with him. Because they'd watched him. They'd watched him say things over the last three years, and they'd seen everything he said come true. They'd watched him heal people. They watched him get out of the grave and had been with them. I don't know about you, but somebody comes back to life like, that's somebody you might want to like at least pay a little bit of attention to. And so, that, so on the one hand, it may have been very difficult to try and process through all that, but on the other hand, because they had been with Jesus, it was not that difficult to obey. And I, I think the two are linked in our lives. Man, sometimes we're trying so hard to obey Jesus, and we're trying so hard to do all the right stuff, but we skip the first part. Man, know Jesus. Be with Jesus. And if you're with him and you know him, the obedience starts to become easier. It starts to be easier. Why? Because you know his heart. Because you know his heart. As a parent, sometimes we have to, you know, tell our kids things and they're like, well, why? And as a dad, I mean, I, I prompt before I had kids, I was like, I'm not going to tell them because I said so. Confession, I often tell them because I said so, right? Because you're just like, I just wish you would just listen. Like, what? Just, just listen to what I have to say, please. And you're like, ah, right? And, and, and Jesus, uh, God, there are times when God speaks or there's things that God wants us to do. And we're like, well, why? And I, and I imagine God's going, hi. Oh, because I said so. Because I'm your father. Because I have a good heart towards you. Because, uh, because I'm for you, not against you. Because I gave my son for you. Like, go do what I ask you to do. And if we're going to be a community that changes the world, we must obey Jesus. God wants our obedience even when we don't fully understand it. And He wants complete obedience, not partial obedience. There, there are, in this sort of politically divided moment in history, you can see how there are moments where those divisions creep into church. And there are segments within the larger church where there's groups that sort of dismiss half the commands of Jesus because he doesn't fit their sort of political ideology, and another group that also dismisses the other half of the commands of Jesus. And we, we have to do better than that. We have to follow all the commands of Jesus. We have to stay with Scripture. We have to read it. We have to obey it. There's a, a story I read some time ago about the rock band uh, Van Halen. Um, I won't ask for a raise of hands, anybody that's heard of them or anything like that. But um, that was a joke. You can laugh. All right. Um, but I once read, and maybe you've read it too, that, that they were famous for, uh, for like strange requests at their tours. And so they would, one of their strange requests was in their dressing room, they wanted a bowl full of M&Ms with no brown M&Ms in it. Right? This was their request. And so people would hear this over the years, and this became kind of the stuff of legend, right? Because... What in the world? Why are they, they think they're too good to have brown M&Ms in their bowl? I mean, like, every, you know, such divas and, 
And they would walk in the room, and if there's brown M&Ms in the bowl, they would leave, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't do the show, so I've been told. But if you start to look into it, like their reasoning behind it was much more than just being a diva who thought they just had an entitlement to, to that thing. Their show was one of the most uh, elaborate shows of the, of, the of the time, and they have all this electrical equipment and sound equipment and all this stuff, and the manual for doing that and setting that up at a given city was like super thick. And in the middle of this super thick manual, they would bury this request for no brown M&Ms in the bowl. Why would they do that? Because if you don't get all of that stuff hooked up correctly, like it's pretty dangerous. Like somebody can get hurt, maybe even die. And they needed a way to check and see if the people setting up their equipment had done everything that they requested. So rather than having to send men in and check all of the connections and all that stuff, they knew they could walk into the dressing room and if they see brown M&Ms, sure enough, those people didn't read the manual. And they knew it's not safe here. We need to double check everything or we can't do the show. Now why, why, why say that? Well, here's the deal, man. We need to pay attention to every word of Jesus. Amen. Even when we don't understand it. Even, even when we can't see it. E even when we don't, we don't, we're not quite sure what Jesus is doing. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying. If he says go, we go. If he says wait, we wait. If he says no, we listen. If he says yes, we respond. When he said, because Jesus is serious when he tells us to love one another, when he tells us to love our enemies, when he tells us to pray for those who persecute us, when he tells us to be holy, when we read the scriptures, we should apply it to our lives the best that we can with the help of the Holy Spirit working in us. We need to work to apply that to our lives. We need to obey Jesus. There are moments in life I'm coming to realize where not, not necessarily Scripture, but Jesus will be doing something in your life that you do not fully understand. And in those moments, obey and trust Jesus. And pay attention to what He is doing. And why do we obey Him? Because we know Him. Because we love Him. Because we've been with Him. We're not earning, like, you're not earning brownie points from Jesus. Like, He's not got a tally up there like, oh, you, like, that's not what He's, that's not how it works. Jesus loves you uh, just as much right now as he's ever going to love you. He could not possibly love you any more or any less than he loves you in this moment right now. Amen. So thinking that because you didn't pray yesterday or do, like, none, like don't, don't beat yourself up over those things. Just respond to his love and know that he loves you and know he wants to pull you close. And, and, and remember this, that I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. When it comes to our Christian walk, we've got to put in some effort. You, you've, got to, you've got to get up and do some stuff. Same thing in any relationship, right? You've got to put in some effort, but you're not earning something from God. You're, it's all free from Him, a gift of grace, and you're responding to that in obedience. Amen. And so if we're going to be a people that change the world, we must be with Jesus. We must obey Jesus. We must take His commands and His commission seriously. And then finally, not only were these a people who had been with Jesus and who were empowered and who were, uh, they were they had been with Jesus, and then Jesus is the one that wants to empower them by his spirit. And so we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2. This was a, a group of people who in Acts chapter 2, they were, uh, they were filled with the spirit. And then all of a sudden things begin to happen. That this man, Peter, who had spent time with Jesus 
and who was obeying Jesus by being in that room, that the Spirit empowers this man, Peter. And this is interesting because if you read Peter's story, you will see that Peter in the Gospels walks away from Jesus and denies even knowing him. And yet we get to this story, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens? He begins to, uh, he begins to preach. And in Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin reading at verse 37. This is Peter speaking. It says, Now when they heard this, this is his audience that's listening, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone on whom the Lord our God calls to himself, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added about 3,000 souls to the church that day. So Peter goes from denying Jesus to preaching for Jesus, and 3,000 people respond. What makes the difference? And the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only were they to be with Jesus and obey Jesus, but they needed to be empowered by the Spirit of Jesus. This is what Jesus wanted them to wait on, because the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them and do something in them and through them they could not do by themselves. Listen, there are things that God wants to do in your life and in my life and through our church that we cannot do by ourselves. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to come and just empower us to do these, uh, do things to make a difference for Jesus. And all throughout the book of Acts, I'm going to go through this really fast, but the Holy Spirit works. You can see in Acts chapter 3, the Holy Spirit moves and a lame man is healed. In Acts chapter 4, Peter again gives another sermon, and it, the, Luke goes out of his way to tell us that he was filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, many signs and wonders are being done through the apostles. As a matter of fact, so powerful that Peter's own shadow heals people as the shadow touches them. In Acts 6 and 7, we see the Holy Spirit working through a deacon by the name of Stephen. In Acts chapter 8, the Spirit works across racial and ethnic boundaries by filling the people of Samaria with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, the Holy Spirit saves and works and fills a man by the name of Paul who starts to boldly preach. And this is the same Paul who gives us most of the New Testament. Man, we could keep going over and over and over and over throughout the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit's working. He's empowering His church. And we believe He has not stopped. Amen. He has not stopped. And that those who say that He has, I just don't think that they have all the data. I'm just going right. to... Like, you can look around the world. The church in America is in decline. We, we will, I will readily admit that. But here's the truth of the matter. That's, that is a uniquely American problem. The church around the world is exploding. Yes. And you know where and how it's exploding the most? Pentecostalism, Pentecostal charismatic Christians are on pace to outnumber Catholics. It's growing at huge rates around the world. Why? The power of the Holy Spirit. Man, man, the power of the Holy Spirit's working. The power of the Holy Spirit's moving. The same God who moved in the book of Acts is still moving around the world to this day. He's moving, he's moving across 
continents. He's moving across nations. He's moving in this room. We could have you raise hands and tell stories of healings and of deliverance and of moments where the Holy Spirit showed up. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is still moving and working. The Holy Spirit works in their lives to bring unity and to bring love. Listen, when we come to church, we're not gathering together because we kind of all have a lot of cool stuff in common. That's not, that's not like we don't, this isn't a shared interest group, all right? We, we come together because of the, the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit brings us together. This is a supernatural moment when we gather together. I think we sort of downplayed that for way too long. This is not merely us gathering in a room to sort of uh, do our thing. This is us gathering in a room and knowing that the Holy Spirit's going to show up and do something incredible in our midst. Something that he, uh, he, he does in a way when we come together that He does not do when we are scattered. There's something different that happens when we show up in a room together and we worship Jesus and we let the Holy Spirit move. Something that cannot happen when we are scattered. You are not called to live life alone. You are, not, you are called to be a part of a community of people that changes the world. And you need to be connected to the body of Christ. Listen, whether you like it or not, when you get saved, you're part of the church. Like, that's not like an option. You don't get like, uh, we don't do half sign-ups, Okay. Like, you're, you're part of the church. But, but here's the deal. You need to be plugged into the body of Christ. And you need to be here because something happens when we come together. And the power of the Holy Spirit works in an incredible way. And we must be a people empowered by the Spirit of Jesus. We've got to have more to offer people than just self-help or uh, do this to get better, or all of that. Like, we got to have way more to offer people than that. The problems people are facing, man, they go way deeper than that. Yeah. And far too many churches, and I'm not complaining or throwing any stones at anybody or anything like that, but I, I think that there are far too many uh, places that are, it's more like self-help, and it's more like do these three things and your life will be better. Like, no, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to show up. Because He's the one that changes lives. He's the one that does the work. He's the one that, that moves. Now, I believe he can use people, and he can use systems, and he can use programs. I believe he can use all of those things. But the bottom line is it is the power of the Spirit that does the work. Amen. And we must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. My, uh, my grandfather on my father's side uh, grew up Amish for uh, the first 13 years of his life. He grew up in Michigan, Indiana area. And when he turned 13 their family moved out of the Amish community and they moved into the Mennonite community. And you may have seen, you've probably seen them around. They go to the store and stuff and the women wear the head coverings and that type of stuff. And so my, my father grew up in a Mennonite church for most of his life. And then when he hit his teenage years, they moved from uh, Hannibal, Missouri to Springfield, Illinois. And when they moved to Springfield, Illinois, they didn't have a Mennonite church. There wasn't one there. So kind of on accident, sort of accident, they ended up at the local Assembly of God church. And uh, this is where my dad really got saved and God really worked in his life. But my grandfather, uh, sort of because of that Amish upbringing probably, he was just a very, he's a very harsh man. Very uh, Protestant work ethic, hard, hard worker. I mean, like they had to make the man retire. Uh, but he could be, he could, that could come across really harsh, really, really mean. As a matter of fact, as a kid, um, for most of my life as a kid, I never, he, like, he never like, hugged us and told us that he loved us. Like, that just wasn't, wasn't him. He just didn't do that. He was more of a, you better get yourself together and you better work hard kind of person. 
And over the years at that Assembly of God church, like he, he ended up being on the board and all kinds of stuff. And I just got to be honest, I don't even know if he was really saved. Because there was no real, like, fruit of what Jesus would have been doing in his life. Because it was just cold and hard and harsh. And then back a few years ago, it's probably been 20 or so years ago now, uh, his church had a, a special speaker in, and they were supposed to, it's kind of one of those things where the special speaker is supposed to be there a service or two. And God just started moving and doing something. And a couple services turned into a couple, two, three years worth of services where God was just sort of moving. And in one of those services, my grandfather, for whatever reason, sort of responds to the altar call. And as he responds, and this would probably have been probably, I mean, I wasn't there, but probably one of the first times in his entire life that the man ever responded to an altar call. And so he responds to this altar call, and uh, God begins to work, and he begins to touch him, and he ends up on the floor. He ends up being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he ends up seeing God giving him some visions of some things he wanted him to do. And he, wa- he got up and walked out of that room completely different. No longer was he harsh or cold, but he had joy and peace and patience. And he, he, he walked out of there going on mission trips around the world, praying for people in the, like, the line at McDonald's and people getting healed, uh, speaking words of prophecy over people and them coming to pass. What, what is it that made the difference? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That it is the power of the Spirit of Jesus that can take and make us, change us from one way to something completely different. Like, He can empower us to do the things He's called us to do. And if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to be a community, if we're going to be a people that change the world, man, we must be with Jesus. That, that should, your first priority should be be with Jesus. We must obey Jesus. Every word He says. We cannot pick and choose. We must obey what He says. And man, we must be empowered by the Spirit of Jesus. That the same God who poured out the Spirit at the day of Pentecost, He's still pouring out His Spirit. He's no respecter of persons, men, women, uh, boys and girls, young, old. He's still pouring out His Spirit all across this planet. And He wants to do something in you and in me and in our church if we will be with Him, if we will obey Him, and if we will allow Him to empower us. 